And so let's read James chapter 2 and verse 8 together. Ready? Here we go. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. We're looking at uh, this series of sermons, The People I Love. We have looked at loving my Heavenly Father. We've looked at loving my family. The next three sermons that we'll preach out of this series will be entitled, Loving My Fellow Man. We're going to look today at loving my fellow man, loving my neighbor. Loving my neighbor. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, would you help us to understand mentally and grasp intellectually your word and what it says? And then, Lord, would you help us to go home and put it to practice? Would you help us to love our neighbors at home? Would you help us to love our neighbors in our neighborhood, our neighbors at work, our neighbors at church? Lord, the neighbors that are easy to get along with and the neighbors that are not so easy to get along with. Lord, take the truths that we hear this morning and sear them to our hearts and, more importantly, to our lifestyles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, whether or not some of you want to admit it, Many Americans are enamored with the English crown. They love all of the royalty and the royal family. And most Americans are not willing to openly admit it, uh, but secretly they follow it and keep up with it. Uh, now, I can say this in good, uh, in, in good on, in, 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 from an honest heart here this morning. I do not keep up with the royal family. I honestly don't care about the royal family. But for the sake of the sermon this morning... I put a lot of work into learning about the royal family. And what I realize is that uh, it's popular. Now, I was uh, out somewhere with my, my children, and the royal family came up, and Matthew shot off that I think Prince William is married to, is it Duchess Kate of Middlebury, and that they had X amount of children. I said, how did you know that? He said, Dad, it was, it was, on, the, it was on the magazine in Walmart in the checkout. And and I saw it, and, and so, Dad, I know. And, and, and then he was giving me details about the wedding, and I said, well, how, did you, how do you know these details about their wedding? And he said, well, Mom was watching it on her phone while she was doing dishes, and, and so I, I, I saw part of the wedding, and so I know. And uh, how many of you here on some level are willing to admit, don't be embarrassed by that, but are willing to admit that you keep up with the royal family, on, even loosely on some level, Okay. How many of you are sitting next to someone who's not raising their hand, and they should be raising their hand? Okay. Um, when, when some of the royalty gets married, uh, millions of Americans tune in to watch it. I saw some statistics this week from when, um, let's see here. I've got to look at my notes because I can't remember all the names. Uh, Meghan Markle, she married into the royal family. Who did she marry? See, you all know. I'm playing dumb. I really know. Prince Harry married in, uh, 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 Meghan Markle, and several, I think it was over 3 million Americans tuned in to watch it. Uh, it may have been more than that. But uh, it was a lot of folks tuned in to watch it, and it was a big deal. Now, around the world, it was, it was highly watched. And some have joked that America uh, could not finish off the Brits in the Revolutionary War and so they sent Meghan Markle over to finish the job. 
she is uh, getting her husband to leave the royal family. How many saw that? They're taking a break. They're leaving the royal family. So what we couldn't finish in war, we sent Megan over to do for us um, uh, uh, several hundred years later. As you may expect, there are a lot of formal rules that royalty has to live by. Uh, there are many rules that, uh, there, are, there are way more rules than we have time to highlight this morning. But let me give you a few of them. If you are a part of the English crown, you cannot vote nor can you run for public office. Maybe the oddest one, and to me the funniest one, if you're part of the royal family, you are not allowed to play the board game Monopoly. You are not allowed to play Monopoly. Um, they cannot eat shellfish. Garlic is not allowed in the palace. And for dinner, they are not allowed to eat potatoes, rice, or pasta. I think the pasta thing is still a grudge they're holding against the Roman Catholic Church in Italy. Um, if you are royalty, you are not supposed to be touched by non-royalty. I am a sports fan, and I saw a picture a couple of years ago of LeBron James putting his arm around one of the princesses, and she was very uncomfortable. Uh, and he got reprimanded for that. Uh, public displays of affection must be kept limited uh, between a husband and wife, prince and princess. Before 2011, they were not allowed to marry a Roman Catholic. That's now changed. Uh, they must keep at least six ravens at the Tower of London. Now, why is that? Because the royal family are Baltimore Ravens fans, but of course. When they have a formal dinner, uh, they have an order of precedence for their seating arrangements, professionals, etc. Here's something that's interesting. They cannot eat after the queen has finished eating. So when the queen's done, everyone's done. When the queen lays down her fork and says she's done, she's done. Uh, I don't have this one in my notes, but I read this this week. The queen carries her purse or her handbag on her right arm, and when she wants out of a conversation, she simply shifts the purse to her left arm, and that means I'm done talking to you, and you need to shut it down. You need to bring this to an end. Wouldn't that be great? My wife is going to start carrying her purse on her right arm, to let me know. Um, they cannot wear fur, or they're not supposed to wear fur. Royal women must always wear pantyhose while out in public. I am understanding why Megan wants out. No rice, no pasta, uh, pantyhose all the time, can't wear fur. I can see why she wants to bounce. Um, direct heirs to the throne may not, uh, when they're traveling long distance, may not take the same car or same plane. They must be kept separate in case of an accident. Um, now, we think about all of these laws, all of these etiquettes, all of these rules that a, a queen or a prince or a princess uh, of England must follow. And let's be honest, other than advising the prime minister, the queen advising the prime minister, it's all just 
there uh, uh, to help them remember their historical roots. There's real, really no significance about it, but they spend millions and millions of dollars to keep this going, and uh, they are hailed, they are, uh, uh, they are put up and in, 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 in put in high esteem and regarded greatly. They follow these royal laws, and Christians are not fake royalty. Christians are real Royalty. Look back at James chapter 2 and verse number 8 with me, if you will. James chapter 2 and verse number 8. Look there. It says, If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. So what makes you and I royalty? What makes a person royalty? You've been saved. We're going to look at this in great detail tonight. But if you have been saved, you are a child of God. The King of kings and Lord of lords has adopted you into his family. The Bible goes as far in Romans chapter 8 to call those that are saved joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. That means you are an heir, you are in line to the throne. Hey, but don't get nervous because the man who sits on that throne, God the Father, he's never going to die. He's always going to be in charge. He's always going to love us. He's always going to take care of us. That, however, makes us royalty. Now, I don't know about you, but I sure don't want some man or woman who is related to the Queen of England to take their role of following their royal rules more importantly than I take mine when God is my king and I am his son. If they follow these rules and they're careful to make sure their etiquette is just perfect... One I didn't mention is that if you're part of the royal family, anytime you travel, you must have a black outfit in your case, uh, in your suitcase, just in case there is an emergency funeral. Or they're packing, they're, 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 they're watching how they sit, and they're watching how they eat, and uh, they're, they're, they're so careful. But Christians are so flippant and so loose and so carefree about the royal law. Well, what is the royal law? To love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know that this is the only term, only time the term royal law is mentioned in the whole Bible? You're a child of God and He's given you one law when it comes to being royalty, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor anyway? This term seems open-ended a little bit, and so we're going to let Scripture answer those questions for us this morning. Before we get into the message, let me say the number one enemy that keeps you from loving your neighbor is you. The reason I don't love my neighbor the way I should is because I am too busy loving on myself. And that's the same thing that's true for you. We're too busy looking out for number one, and we don't have time to look out for what God calls the true number one, and that's others. We can be guilty of advancing our own causes, growing our own empire, taking care of those things or people that are closest to us. We hoard our resources. We guard our time. We look the other way when someone is hurting. And what is our excuse? 
We cannot love our neighbor because we are too busy loving ourselves. Let me ask you a question this morning. What would your home look like if each one in your family decided to love his neighbor first? What would your neighborhood look like if you made a concerted effort to love each one of your neighbors first? What would our church look like if each of us made an effort, put forth the effort to love our neighbor first? To the school-age children here today, what would your schools look like if you made the choice to love your neighbor across the classroom or next to you first? To those of you who work a job, what would your place of employment look like if you made the choice to love your neighbor first? The world would be a far better place to live if each day each Christian followed the royal law, otherwise known as the golden rule. We know the golden rule, right? Let's say it together. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think Jesus worded it a little bit better. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, I only have three points this morning. I have no subpoints. I have a point one, a point two, and a point three. I kept it more concise today because I knew half of you'd be sleeping on me with the time change. And so let's uh, let's jump in and look at three thoughts, three powerful truths as we consider this topic: loving my fellow man, loving my neighbor. Number one, notice the calamity of my neighbor. The calamity of my neighbor. Turn over to Luke chapter 10 with me and verse number 29. We'll reference James 2 throughout the sermon, but you can let go of that. Luke chapter 10 and verse 29. And maybe the most famous passage in the Bible uh, when it comes to uh, loving our neighbor it would be this passage. Pastor Morales, when he preached a revival for us back in the fall, he preached uh, the, his Sunday morning sermon came out of this passage, and he preached a sermon about loving our neighbor out of this passage. Let's look together uh, at it, if we could. Verse 29 of Luke chapter 10. Uh, but he, the lawyer, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor anyway? Or who is my neighbor? Verse 30, And Jesus answering said, Luke 10, verse 30, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Well, if you've gone to church any length of time, you know the story. 
a man who's traveling, most likely a Jewish man, who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, is walking down a road, he's by himself, and thieves jump out of the bush, and they jump him, they beat him, they strip him naked, they uh, uh, rob him of all of his possessions, they leave him to die there. The Bible labels him as half dead. He's laying there, he's moaning, he's groaning, there's nothing he can do to help himself. If there's ever been a man who is in his day of calamity, his day of trouble, sorrow, it would be this man right here. Uh, two religious men walk by. One sees him and just ignores him, crosses the street, and just walks on by. The other, a priest, walks over and looks in the ditch, looks at the man moaning and groaning and half dead, sees that he's alive and hurting, and then he goes across the street and leaves him half dead. These two religious men were not men were not very good neighbors. The third one, uh, Jesus called a good Samaritan. And this is a parable. Uh, this didn't necessarily happened, but this Samaritan man would have been an outcast by Jewish standards. He st- gets off of his, his beast, his mule. He walks over to the man and he uh, uh, pours uh, medicine in his wounds. He binds them up. He lifts him. He puts him on his beast. He walks by his beast down the road until he comes to an inn or a motel. He checks him in. He pays the fare and he says, make sure this man gets better. If it costs more money than I've given you, On my return trip, I will pay you the rest. Jesus then looks at this lawyer and says, Which of these three men was the neighbor? And the lawyer properly answers, Well, obviously, it was the last man. Let me share with you this morning some observations from this passage. First, the point Jesus is trying to make is that everybody is my neighbor. Everybody is my neighbor. The people you know and the people you do not know. The second observation I want to pull from this passage is that people are hurting. People are hurting. Some don't love because they just aren't paying attention. That Levite who just crossed the street and paid no mind to the man in the ditch... Can I tell you my opinion? He didn't care for the man in the ditch because he wasn't even paying attention that there was someone in the ditch. As he approached the man in the ditch, he most likely heard the moaning and groaning and crossed the street so as to avoid the problem and pretend as though he couldn't even see it. Tomorrow morning, when you climb on the train to go to work, or you walk down the sidewalk, or you sit in traffic and you look at the people next to you, do you understand that that is not just someone for you to compete with to get to the spot? That's not just someone for you to compete with to get a seat on the train. That's not someone for you to compete with to beat out at work. That's a person God has put in your path who most likely is carrying carrying a hurt that you know little about. Let's not be guilty of avoiding our neighbor in their day of calamity because we're just not paying attention. Everybody is my neighbor. People are hurting. Some of us do not love our neighbor because we're just not paying attention. Others do not love their neighbor because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Do you know that man had to give up his time to get off his beast and go over and help that man? 
He was probably delayed hours. He maybe missed an appointment. He maybe um, uh, uh, was not able to be there for a family member that wanted him there. We don't know where he was going or what his schedule was, but he put his schedule on pause because God led him to a need and his neighbor needed his love, and so he stopped to help his neighbor. Do you know it not only cost him his time, it cost him his finances. Boy, he took of his own medicine. And he poured it into the man's wounds. He took of his own clothing and he wrapped the man's wounds up. He laid the man on his beast and he got to a motel. He checked him in the motel. He reached in his own wallet. He took cash out of his own pocket and paid the fare for the hotel. Paid the fare for that man to be nursed and taken care of and looked after. Boy, sometimes we don't love people because inconvenient. Oftentimes, it is the broken that end up helping the broken. Some of the kindest souls that I've ever met are homeless people. Well, you give them a hundred bucks, and they turn around and give it all away. Not everyone out there is looking to scam you. And I'm not suggesting that you go give money away. But what I am saying is that why do we let those who are broken outlove us? Boy, we, we, we may carry our own hurts and burdens, but God has blessed us beyond measure. Boy, in that time of life where things are going great, are you helping your neighbor during his day of calamity? Someone once said this, they said, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle you most likely know nothing about. What kind of neighbor are you while your neighbor is in his day of calamity? I think of Job and his buddies. Job lost it all. He's sitting in the town dump. He's got a piece of pottery. He's scraping pus out of his boils. His wife has left him. His children are dead. His wealth is all gone. He's got, he's homeless. He's got nothing left. He's laying there and his three friends come up. His neighbors come up. And you know what they do? They just plop down next to him and they say nothing for three whole days. Nothing! Not, Job, I'm praying for you. Job, I'm hurting for you. Job, how can I help you? They sit there for three days and just shake their heads and say nothing. And then after three days, they open their mouth. And after a few minutes of their opening their mouth, Job looks at them and says, Can't you guys just go back to being quiet? It was better when you were saying nothing. What did they say? Job, Job, Job. You look so holy, and you look so righteous on the outside, but you're a dirty, rotten, wicked, hypocrite sinner on the inside. We all know it, Job! Job spends much of, the book of, his, of that book defending himself and claiming his own righteousness. You know, Job ended up sinning in the book by defending himself. Had his friends been neighbors in the day of calamity the way they should have been, they wouldn't have pushed Job to sin. Hey, the point I'm trying to make here this morning is when your neighbor is having a tough time, whether you know them or not, can you go out of your way to love on your neighbor? The calamity of my neighbor. Number two, notice the conflicts with my neighbor. The conflicts with my neighbor. Turn over to Proverbs chapter number 25 with me, if you will. Proverbs chapter 25. 
And look at verse number 8. For sake of time, I'm going to begin reading. You can catch up with me when you get there. We're going to read down through verse 11. Go not, for, go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof. When thy neighbor hath put thee to shame, debate thy cause. Look at verse 9. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and discover not a secret to another. Lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. We hear verse 11 quoted all the time. In fact, it, it's been used on wall art. It's been used on plaques. It's been used uh, all over the place. It's a beautiful verse. It's a poetic verse. But verse 11 is oftentimes used out of context. A word fitly spoken like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. When are you to speak a proper word? You are to speak a proper word when there is a, a conflict with your neighbor. When you and your neighbor are at odds, again, go back to verse 9, debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another. Uh, real plain. Let me make this real plain. How am I supposed to handle when I have a conflict with someone else? My neighbor and I are at odds. Am I to go to my other neighbor? Am I going to go and say, hey, such and such is just acting this way and doing this and doing that and behaving this manner? No, 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 no. I'm not to slander my neighbor. I'm to go to the neighbor I have a problem with and I'm to speak proper words and I'm to fix that with him and him alone. You see, we don't like doing that. We want to run to everybody else who will give us a sympathetic ear but we don't like confronting the person with whom is causing our conflict. Do you know who I get along best with? I get along best with those that think through things the exact same way that I do. I get along best with people who follow the same set of morals that I follow. I get along best with those who live their life by the same set of ethics that I live my life by. I have no problem getting along with someone who behaves exactly as I expect them to behave. We all carry around our measuring tape. I call it the relationship tape. And if someone doesn't measure up, what happens? Conflict begins. You didn't respond to that right. You didn't do that right. You didn't talk to me right. You violated my ethics. I don't care about your code of ethics. I care about my code of ethics. And your behavior violated what I think you should have done. You don't measure up. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Let me ask you a question this morning. How do you respond... When someone isn't behaving exactly the way you want them to, how do you respond? Um, can I tell you how most of us respond? We're mean. We're unkind. Let us consider this truth. If you don't get anything else out of the message this morning, please, please, please listen to what I'm about to say. God has not called you to change anyone's behavior. 
He's only called you to change your own behavior. He's called you simply to love that person and leave the change up to Him. We try and change people by being mean to them. Let me give you some examples. You give your spouse the cold shoulder. Why? You're hoping they'll change. You become passive-aggressive toward your children. Why? You're hoping that they'll get the hint with my nasty attitude and that they'll change the way they're behaving. You become defiant toward authority at work or school. Why? Why are you uh, uh, getting there at the last second and leaving as soon as possible and cutting conversations with your boss short and being curt and, 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 and being unkind? Because you're hoping they'll get the hint that you're all hot and bothered and that you're upset and that they'll see that you're upset and then what they'll do? Oh, I need to change and so uh, I can get along better with them. You see how we do this? Delaying or refusing to respond to a friend's text message. I'm not going to text him back. I'm not answering their call. They don't want to help me. Well, I'm just going to ignore them. And can I tell you, we do this whether we realize it or not. Now, by the way, if I've been short in responding to a text message, I'm not trying to change your behavior, okay? Let me just say that up front. Uh, I am, at times, I am really bad at replying quickly to text messages, something I'm working on. Since Pastor Morales has come on staff, I've been challenged because he's like instant, right? And so uh, I'm working on that. But, uh, uh, but that is something that we do. We delay or don't even respond because we're trying to fix somebody. It is possible that you would do these things initially because your feelings were hurt. But more often than not, we do these things because we are trying through meanness to help guilt, to heap guilt on someone else's head, hoping that our guilt will force them to change or make them suffer if they won't change. Can we just all agree to something this morning? That model doesn't work. How many of you live life long enough to realize that doesn't work? The rest of you didn't raise your hand. That model doesn't work. And can I tell you, I know that model doesn't work, and sometimes I still try that model. God calls Christians to a royal standard. The standard is kindness. First, that person you can't get along with was raised, please hear me, that person you can't get along with was raised through a different set of circumstances and quite possibly lives by a different set of morals and ethics than you. Put away the relationship tape. They weren't raised the way you were. They don't see things the way you do. They don't behave the way you behave. And listen, if it isn't in the Bible and it isn't laid out in the Bible, then cut them some slack. If it is in the Bible, pray for them that God will use the word, His Word to get their attention. Second, God has not called you to change anyone but you. Third, while changing someone is not the goal, kindness is a far more effective means to accomplish getting them to change. If I'm kind to someone, is that guaranteed to get them to come around and see things my way? No. Might it work? It might. 
it has a lot better chance of working than being mean to them. You say, well, I tried being nice. I, I tried heaping kindness on top of my neighbor and they shoved it back in my face. I'll never be kind again. Listen, I understand because I've been there. I have. But God did not call you to get them to change. God called you to be kind. And here's the hard, hard line truth. You are not going to give account to God one day for what they do with your kindness. You are going to give account to God one day on whether or not you were kind. Be kind because it's right to be kind. And leave the results up to the Lord. I'm talking about this morning, your neighbor blowing his leaves onto your lawn. I'm talking this morning when the wind blows your leaves onto the neighbor's lawn and they get upset. I'm talking about that person in church that you just can't seem to figure out how to get along with. And you're going to force them into change. No, you're not. You can try all day. It's not going to work. I'm talking about that, that person on the other side of the cubicle that just grates on your nerves. God has called you to be kind. And you're going to give account to Him one day for that. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 uh, through 38. Turn over to Luke chapter 6 with me this morning. I'm almost done with this sermon. Turn over to Luke chapter 6 and verse number 27. This is a powerful passage. This is a passage we're not very good at living. Now, uh, while you're turning there, uh, let me just throw a disclaimer out here. Uh, when I preach a sermon like this, it hits everybody between the eyes. I am not thinking of any one person while I preach a sermon. If you're sitting there thinking, that dirty rascal pastor, he wrote this sermon with me in mind, I promise you I didn't. I promise you, if you think that, there are ten other people in the room that think that. Now, I know some of your circumstances, and I know this applies to a bunch of you. Let me just ask this. How many of you here this morning, this sermon applies to you in some way? Would you raise your hand? Look around the room. You see that? We all need this. We all need to learn to be kind and leave the results up to the Lord. Look at how Jesus worded it in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say unto you which here, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. So if he wants to take your cloak, give him your coat too. Verse 30, give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. There's the golden rule, verse 32. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them that do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them uh, of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is king unto the unthankful and uh, to the evil. Look at verse 36. Be ye therefore merciful, 
as your Father also is merciful. Now, it doesn't say this, but as your Father is also merciful to you. Look at verse 37. Judge not. There's that put the relationship tape away. And ye shall not be judged. Condemn not. And ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. I love when we read a familiar verse in context. Good measure, pressed down, and shaking together, and running over, shall men give unto into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. The conflicts with our neighbors. Let's look at lastly, number three, the care of my neighbor. The care of my neighbor. Turn over to Romans. You're in Luke. Turn over just a few books to the right to Romans chapter number 13. This week I read every verse in the Bible that contains the word neighbor. What I found is that the Old Testament is filled with all of the thou shalt nots, and the New Testament on this topic is filled with the thou shalts. Um, there's some crazy things in the Old Testament as far as the way we're to treat our neighbor. In Habakkuk, there's a verse that talks about, basically, date rape drugs. Giving someone uh, alcohol for the purpose of pleasing your own sexual desires. That's in the Bible. I couldn't believe that was in the Bible. I said, wow, something that happens in bars every Friday, really every day, is all the way back in the Old Testament. The Bible is filled with all the thou shalt not. Thou shalt not steal from thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions. Thou shalt not lie to thy neighbor. Thou shalt not gossip about thy neighbor. Here is one that was repeated over and over, maybe more so than any of the rest. Thou shalt not commit adultery with thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not take advantage of thy neighbor in business. Thou shalt not be hateful against thy poor neighbor. And so you have all of these, and, and again, I'm putting them in a thou shalt not form, but that's the idea of all of these uh, uh, rules of how to not treat your neighbor, look at Romans chapter 13, verse 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This week I read every, I I just, listen, the point I'm getting at here is that you can read the whole entire Old Testament and we're told one thing, how to love our neighbor by what we don't do. Then we get to the New Testament and you know what the change is? If you'll just by default love your neighbor the way Christ loves you, you're not going to defraud your neighbor. You're not going to commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. You're not going to covet his possessions. You're not going to lie to him. You're not going to steal from him. You know what you are going to do? You're going to look to take care of him. You're going to look to take care of him. Turn over to Romans 15, just a chapter, maybe a page over in your Bible. We are told over and over again in the New Testament to love our neighbor. What does loving our neighbor accomplish? Look at Romans 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. We that are strong ought to build up the weak. We ought to love our neighbor for the purpose of edification. Listen up. Everybody look up here. I'm going to finish with this. 
that person who's hurting you. That person that's being unkind to you. That person you cannot get along with. Have you stopped to consider that they're weak? Have you stopped to consider that if you were stronger than them, God has not called you to attack them. God has called you to lift them up and edify them. But pastor, they're attacking me. You know what? I bet they've attacked other people before. How are you going to be different? Are you going to reach down and help them up? Pastor, I tried that. They don't want to be helped up. They need to know your hand is there. And that when they're ready, you're ready. You know, there are times where I'm weak. There are times where I'm strong. When I'm weak, I need you to help me out of the ditch. When you're weak, you need me and others to help you out of the ditch. Hey, furthermore, do you know there are areas where I'm very strong and there are other areas where I'm very weak? It may be that where I'm strong, you're weak, and where you're strong, I'm weak. And we can help each other. We have to care for our neighbors. We have to care for our neighbors. Who, who is my neighbor? Well, it's the person who lives next door to you. But it's also that person on the train, that person at the gas station. It's that person sitting on the other side of the auditorium you've not even met yet. God has called us to show them kindness. God has called us to edify them. I finish with this. How many of you know all about the coronavirus? It's been on every news channel, everywhere you turn. It's the talk around the water cooler. Someone tell me real quick, where did the coronavirus originate? China. How long did it take to get from China to the U.S.? A month? Three weeks? What if our kindness spread like the coronavirus? What if we were able to love on others? They caught our love. And that love spread around the world. Boy, I bet a whole lot of people would get saved. And a whole, I bet a whole lot of hurting relationships would be healed. Anybody can love the lovable. Anybody can love the neighbor who brings them cookies and brownies. Can you love the neighbor who isn't so kind? Are we caring for our neighbor? How are we handling conflicts with our neighbor? Lord, would you help us this morning to take what we've heard, be challenged by it, and then live it. I think about those chief priests that spit in your face. And Lord, you hung on the cross and you said, Father, forgive them. Lord, you died for their sins just as much as you died for my sins. Lord, you were kind and it didn't always make a difference. But you were kind because it was right to be kind. Lord, I think about how you spent your three years of ministry. You weren't hanging out with doctors and lawyers and religious people. You were hanging out with those who were living their days of calamity. You were healing a woman with an issue of blood, comforting a funeral by raising the dead, 
taking a blind man and giving him sight, touching those with leprosy and giving them a life again. Lord, you saw others, not how other people saw them. You saw others with the eyes of kindness. Help us, Lord, to love our neighbor as ourself and follow the royal law. In Jesus' name we pray.